When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Larry H. Russell, host of Celtics Beat and author of the critically acclaimed book, Fall of the Boston Celtics which you can still download for free by logging on to www.clnsradio.com slash LHR book. Welcome on in to another edition of Celtics Beat being brought to you today by our sponsors, the home of online video tutorials, lynda.com and Audible. Audible is the leading source of audiobooks online with over 180,000 downloadable titles to choose from. And because of your listenership, Audible is offering your first audiobook on them by simply logging on to audiblepodcast.com slash Celtics. That's audiblepodcast.com slash Celtics. Today is Sunday, September 6th, and I am Larry H. Russell, and this is Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio, which today is being brought to you by Linda and Audible. Happy Labor Day, final weekend of the summer. Yes, I know it's, what, September 21st or whatever, although the weather this past week here in Boston was definitely summer-esque. But this, to me, has always been what I identify the end of summer with. Memorial Day kicks it off. First time you visit those summer getaway spots. Generally the time you head down to the Cape, the islands, Maine, etc. Wrap it up for the year. Get ready for school. Get ready for football. And get ever so closer to the NBA season. Training camp is now later this month. It is September. Happy September. So the season is now, what, inside two months here? Opening night, October 28th. And remember, we here at Celtics Beat are giving away two tickets to the opener against Philadelphia. How do you enter? Simple as pie. Just give us a subscription and a rating and with a review on iTunes and or Stitcher. Be honest. Say whatever you want. Your words mean a lot to us and help us improve the show. So just subscribe and then rate and review the show. And we will pick a winner at random on our October 11th show for a pair of seats to see the Celtics kick off the 2015 campaign against the 76ers. And if you want to catch more Celtics action in Boston throughout the area, check out Tick IQ. Tired of spending a fortune on tickets and feeling like you got ripped off? Well, they got you covered over at TickIQ.com for all your ticketing needs. TickIQ, T-I-Q-I-Q is the leading ticket aggregator, providing fans a one-stop shop to browse the best deals from all ticket sites so you don't have to worry about finding the best seats for the game or concert. Get your tickets for all the locals all season long. Will you find the best prices in the market? Use promo code CLNS for 5% off IQ certified or TN tickets listings at TickIQ.com. That's T-I-Q-I-Q.com. So basketball within two months, football next weekend. The fall is essentially here. I know one, getting ready for all this stuff, as we will welcome back to the show, Ian Eagle. Great time to catch up with Ian. Because I tell you, one of the predominant storylines for the Boston Celtics this season 
will be what goes on with the Brooklyn Nets. Obviously, the Celtics do possess draft picks via the Nets. Unprotected, no less. No conditions as it is with Dallas. So for people to say with the Celtics within the organization, management, fans will be putting a key eye on what happens down there in Brooklyn. That's certainly an understatement. We hear all about these picks all the time. One of my most hated words, assets. Team X has assets. Well, with the Celtics, if there were two things that they have going for them, to me, it's Brad Stevens, someone who I think is already on the shortlist as one of the best and most respected coaches in the league. Almost that's just as important. And it's the draft picks that are owed to them, courtesy of Brooklyn. From what's on this team, via if they were to explore major trade, it starts and ends, and even more so than actual players on this roster, with the Brooklyn picks. It is what they have clearly of most value. So how will the Nets do this season? There seems to be a general belief, be it watching NBA TV, following with ESPN Summer Forecast Series and other outlets, communicating with fans directly on Twitter or email. The belief is the Nets will not be a postseason team this coming season, and some have them really falling back. But whatever it is, we will see. As a Celtics fan, yes, I think there's a good chance that with what Brooklyn owes Boston, there's a really good chance it can be a Herschel Walker-type haul for the Celtics. Not set in stone by any means. In fact, it could do nothing more than add young guys who don't really mesh. It, it could do anything. But it's certainly something that the Celtics should feel blessed to have, the incoming opportunities they have courtesy of the Nets. So what is going on down there? Where do they stand as a franchise? And how should everyone feel about them? Draw your own conclusions. But I'd be advised to do so after we speak with our guests because few are as close and hold the opinions that contain the validity as the voice of the franchise, Ian Eagle. We'll be back on the show once again, and we'll get into that, and I'm sure much more as we tend to drift away from points and topics at hand anytime he lends us his valuable leisure time, particularly on Labor Day weekend, no less. So happy he could do it on a weekend like this, Holloway getaway weekend for everybody, especially him. So I may as well use this time to shout it out right now, our Facebook question of the week, which is being brought to you by Dr. Ron's Ultra Pure Nutritionals, the additive-free company. Dr. Ron's supplements contain no magnesium stearate or other flowing agents, binders, lubricants, coatings, fillers, GMOs, or other added ingredients of any kind. Trying to recover from injury, heal joint pain, fill vitamin deficiencies, gain muscle, sleep better, and of course, for some, the biggie, increase sex drive. Head on over to drrons.com right now and check out their products. Me personally, I'm big on sleep and workout recovery. I love their array of magnesium supplements. That does the trick for me, and I recommend you to try the same. Log on to drrons.com and to receive a discount on your order. Enter Celtics at the end of your order or mention Celtics over the phone at 877-472-8701. So, Celtics beat audience, what is the Celtics' most valuable commodity? Is it those Nets picks? Is it Brad Stevens, the youth along the front line? Just head on over to facebook.com slash Beat and pitch your response. Okay, so talk about that. And yes, I am intrigued, maybe not excited, because you still don't know what kind of fruit these draft selections will bear. I think Brad Stevens and these picks kind of coincide because, you know, one would like to think that Brad is going to eventually want some game changers here in Boston and not constantly have to deal with managing egos and getting the most out of a bunch of mid-level players. It was a great story last year, but he's going to want some stalwarts that he can really apply his coaching prowess and get this franchise back to the point where everyone wants them to be because not only do we assume he wants to win, duh, but it's incredibly taxing to do what he's been doing as he did last year and even be- before 
where it wasn't just coaching. It was, again, managing personalities, dealing with all these minutes to spread around to everybody, and, hey, not having sufficient enough talent to truly compete because I, along with everyone else, would like to think he's like the rest of us and wouldn't want all these burdens and not want to be, and we want to be, in the best possible scenario for himself. Now, will these picks in future years help Boston with trades or the draft itself? Or I'm going to say, but it is true. said it earlier, wait and see. But we will get the lowdown from the man himself, Ian Eagle. He is here. I'm here. Celtics beat is on the air. We have to break for a bit, but we'll get rolling as soon as we get back. Don't go anywhere. Cruise back to the 80s on the first ever 80s cruise. That's right. Seven days in the most radical party to ever hit the high seas with a totally awesome lineup of artists that define the sound of the decade. Join Huey Lewis in the News, Richard Marks, Starship, Cool and the Gang, A Flock of Seagulls, Modern English, Naked Eyes, Tiffany, Wang Chung, and Jessie's Girl, the ultimate 80s party band, and the original MTV VJs, Nina Blackwood, Mark Goodman, and Alan Hunter. As we cruise to exotic ports of core like Grand Turk, San Juan, St. Thomas, and the private island of Half Moon Key, we're going all out by building an 80s video game arcade with Donkey Kong, Mario Brothers, and of course Pac-Man, movies like Ferris Bueller and Pretty in Pink and there'll even be a VJ contest don't forget to pack your best 80s looks because we're having a prom night a movie costume party, pajama party and neon beach party you can't miss this, sailing from February 28th through March 6th, 2016 for the most gnarly vacation ever for more information, log on to the80scruise.com or call 844-384-8080 This is Larry H. Russell back here again, and let me tell you a little something about me. I'm always reading a book, or three, be it a revolutionary breakthrough on neuroscience such as Daniel Kamen's Thinking Fast and Slow, or even a philosophical masterpiece like Plato's Republic. I'm always doing whatever means to soak up as much knowledge as I can about the world we live in, and we can't do that without literature. But not everyone finds it convenient to carry around all six volumes of the history of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire with them. But there's a solution. My good friends over at Audible. Audible is a leading provider of audiobooks with over 150,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature. You don't need to be all alone creating that impossible private time with our everyday lives of chaos to do some reading and relaxing. Audiobooks are great to listen to wherever. Be it in the gym, doing chores at work or around the house, driving, riding, shopping, whatever. Audiobooks are the remedy for you. And Celtics Beat and Audible are teaming up to offer you your first audiobook for free. Just go to audiblepodcast.com slash Celtics. That's audiblepodcast.com slash Celtics. Okay, welcome back into the show. Let's not waste any time. Time to welcome in Ian Eagle, voice of the Brooklyn Nets for the Yes Network, as well as the great work he provides CBS Sports. Our interview with Ian is brought to you by DraftKings. The moment you've been waiting for is almost here. Football is just around the corner, and you can start the season by winning $2 million in week one at DraftKings.com, America's favorite one-week fantasy football site. One-week fantasy means no season-long commitments. It's like a brand-new season every time you play. Just pick your players, pile up points, and pick up your cash. That is it. Why wait until the end of the season to get paid when you can win huge prizes every week? You've already been scouting players for your season-long fantasy team. Put that knowledge to the test every week this football season at DraftKings.com where you could turn your love of football into a lifetime of cash. Hurry to DraftKings.com now and use promo code NEWENGLAND to play free for a shot at $2 million in the Week 1 Millionaire Maker. Enter NEWENGLAND for free entry now at DraftKings.com. 
DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com. Ian, welcome back into Celtic Speed. It's been a long time. Larry, great to talk to you. It's become a bit of a tradition for us, which is nice. And with the NFL season coming up, this is uh, always a fun time to chat about what's on the horizon. Yeah, especially on Labor Day weekend, which for you is, uh, for everybody, is sort of like everybody's final getaway weekend here uh, for the summer. But final weekend with a little more flexibility in your life. So happy you can spend it with us. Yeah, I appreciate it. Normally this time of year I'm knee-deep in the tennis world, but based on the uh, histrionics of television, the CBS Tennis Channel gig that I've had over the last uh, 11, 12 years with CBS and maybe four or five with Tennis Channel no longer is there. ESPN's got all the rights to the U.S. Open, which is uh, fantastic for them. They do an excellent job. But on a personal level, yeah, it's been hard not being out there. It's been been a big part of my life, big part of my broadcast life. Still doing the French Open for Tennis Channel. I've been doing that the last nine years. But a little strange not being out and flushing and taking in the action like I do every year yeah i definitely want to get into your other endeavors a little later in the show but this is Celtics speed basketball show definitely have to start off with pretty much the obvious people who most identify you with is voice of the new books oh, i caught myself there okay you owe me a buck you owe me a buck i got hey uh, my dad was still calling the the colts the baltimore colts like 15 years after they move and it, and this was even before like the ravens were were the were even there to be like they're playing ball, like, you know who, but, but most I'm of, sure I'm sure you would say to your dad, like, hey, you, you gotta get with the times. Enough, <laughs> enough of the Baltimore Colts, and here you are, you are on the brink of saying New Jersey Nets. I know. Hey, hey Marv Albert, actually, your colleague, I think, even said Baltimore Colts uh, on air like two or three years ago. <laughs> I, was, so, I mean, this is like thirty years. It's like it's one thing if you say like a few years after, but anyways, Ian Eagle voice. Of the Brooklyn Nets, let's talk about, let's start with the Nets. That's obviously very easily. A lot of people, and I hate sort of the sweeping generation, the fame. Some people say when they're discussing the media, but I do look at many (laughs) of these forecasts. I personally draw my own conclusions. But before we get into any roster breakdowns and offseason moves, and of course, you know, Brooklyn did let a big name go, a move in which you predicted in a way earlier this summer. Anyways, before we get into that, seems that there is this general consensus out there that the Nets will take another step back, likely even fall out of the playoff picture in the Eastern Conference. Uh, Yeah, I think think the general feeling from the Nets' point of view, Larry, has been they needed to address their lack of flexibility more than anything else. Uh, They went for it, which you applaud ownership for spending the money, for taking some chances, taking some risks, but you also have to know that there are repercussions. And it didn't turn into a championship. Uh, The best this team did was get to the second round of the playoffs, did that with a first-round victory over the Toronto Raptors, where Paul Pierce played such a huge role in that. And then following that run, which ended in the second round, lost to the Miami Heat, they uh, made some changes. And I've determined that uh, they had to go in a different direction, but still had basically the core group of what they had the prior year. And as we know, that ended in a first-round playoff loss to the Atlanta Hawks, played them in a tough series, six games, and showed some heart and showed some improvement over the course of the year, certainly played better at the back end of the season compared to the early part of the season with a new head coach. And then at the end of this past season, had to make some larger scope decisions for 
the future of the team, the finances of the team, and the direction of the team. They got a lot younger. That was a big goal. Uh, they have lost uh, some of the veteran, quote-unquote, leadership that was supposed to lead this team on to the next chapter. And they have really put a lot of their faith in a combination of players that they believe uh, can be part of a core group moving forward that can show improvement. But if you're asking whether or not looking at this roster now compared to the roster that they had to start last season, if, if they feel like it's the same expectation, no, it, it can't be. They have too many young players that are unproven uh, to make this determination that they're ready to continue on the path that they were going. Uh, they they have to figure out exactly who they are, what their identity is going to be, and Lionel Holland uh, is also going to have to figure out which guys he can rely on because uh, they're, they're a bunch of young guys that just haven't done it at this level consistently enough to say that you can expect it from them. Yeah, I was actually reading a few of your uh, quotes when you had that radio interview back in June, and one of the things you mentioned that while they did – have a good playoff series against the Hawks. They did have a good back back end of the season. I actually remember the, the, vividly. I remember I think there was a game the Celtics. They came at the beginning of April. And yeah. They came in there on a Monday night and they rolled them up. And I was like, oh, geez, you know, they're done. And they ended up playing very well. They really rode Brooke Lopez towards the end, and they really developed chemistry. But I remember you sort of said that the chemistry for the majority of that season really just wasn't there until like that final two weeks of the season. Do you think with you know, maybe moving some of the faces that they end up did moving, you know, it could create a little more of an urgency amongst certain players on the roster, thus increasing, you know, probably, you know, the chemistry of the team. Yeah. You know, Larry, I think everybody's kind of jumped on this Darren Williams thing, and rightfully so. He's getting paid a lot of money. Uh, he was supposed to be the player that they were building around. They felt that when they made that deal with the Utah Jazz, that they acquired a player that would have multiple all-star appearances and had a chance to be a Hall of Fame player in the NBA. He was being mentioned in the same sentences as Chris Paul, who is uh, going to be a Hall of Famer one day when his career is done. And Darren was on that career path. Well, you know, with the additional scrutiny uh, comes additional responsibility and with Darren, I actually think this will turn out to be a good thing for him and his career. He needed a change of scenery. Uh, the idea that he gets to go back home, uh, we'll find out whether or not that turns out to be a good fit. But he needed something different in his career. It wasn't working out. Uh, behind the scenes, he was not happy. He was not happy where he was. He was not happy with the situation he was in. And I know from the outside looking in, somebody would say, well, wait a second, you're making $20 million a year. Uh, you're living in New York City. Uh, you're in the biggest media market in the country. Uh, what's not to be happy about? Well, uh, that's more of an individual uh, situation that nobody can truly analyze and unless you're in their shoes. He was not content, and the team was not content. Uh, it it was a relationship that unfortunately went sour. So you could either continue with it if you're the Nets and say, well, we owe this guy so much money and uh, we don't really have a better option at point guard, so let's stick it out. Or you can make the decision that they made, which was uh, let's move on from this, let's offer the buyout, let's stretch it out so it doesn't take as large a hit cap-wise as it could if it was just a, a straight buyout 
and let's turn the page uh, with a new head coach. And while we don't have a player, if this is from the Nets' perspective, that has the same skill set as Darren Williams, uh, it leaves open competition at that point guard spot. And maybe now it creates an opportunity for others to lead. Yeah, I definitely want to actually touch you briefly upon Darren. It's amazing how you mentioned how at one point, I mean, it seems almost like almost laughable to say it, but at one point, like you're right, he was a shoo-in like first ballot, no, no, first ballot Hall of Famer, but yeah, around 2009, 2010, there was an argument that he was the best point guard in the NBA, and now it's sort of like how Bill Simmons has Reggie Cleveland All-Stars with like, you know, making the jokes about, you know, names. You have, I guess, (laughs) Ken Griffey Hall of Famers, where I guess, well, obviously Griffey, it's unfair, uh, because he had, uh, you know, some extra, you know, terrestrial things that he couldn't control, but you have these guys, the first, what, 26, 27 years old, People are already ordaining them, and then you think they're going to keep getting better, but then the back end of the career, it really just isn't there. And that probably is going to be the case for Darren Williams. He could easily finish his career in the NBA, and it's bizarre. It is talking about him wrapping up his career, and he has been in the league 10 years. Um, But you could talk about finishing his career pretty much as a journeyman. Yeah, he could. I mean, he could be one of those guys that bounces around over the last few years. It takes – the veterans minimum to squeeze out another year. Here's the one thing that I do know on the Darren side, and and I I say this with a lot of confidence, if he's not passionate about it anymore, he's not going to just hang around. Uh, He's made a lot of money, a lot of money. I think he's been a smart businessman with that money. And with that said, there have probably been some moments where he has looked in the mirror and said, I don't love what I'm doing. And again, I know from from the outside looking in, some would say, well, what are you talking about? You're you're playing in the premier league in the world. You're making ridiculous amounts of money. You're a known entity. Uh, You're growing family, uh, all of that. The world is, is your oyster, but you can't get inside human beings' heads and, and analyze what's going on. Um, he, he will not, uh, this, this would be my sense, he will not be the guy that, that squeezes out extra years just to say he played X number of seasons in the NBA. If this doesn't go well in Dallas, uh, Darren could hang him up and move on with his life and uh, try to live in, in a bit more of anonymity. And it wouldn't shock me at all. That's actually good to hear, too. I mean, from a personal standpoint, not obviously him hanging it up. But, I mean, you know, you mentioned, obviously, he's kept himself in good financial condition because, I mean, the stories are endless of players who make X millions of dollars and then three years out of the career, out of their league, like a complete mess. But I want to talk about, you know, obviously from what you said back in June regarding Darren when he was still on the team. You also mentioned Joe Johnson. His name has been floating around in trade rumors. I mean, how does the situation there with Joe Johnson with the Nets, if you will, unfit that working out? Yeah, I think they look at Joe as one of the guys that younger players can learn from. He works as hard as anybody. He takes it incredibly seriously. And while he may not emote a great deal out on the court and sometimes even behind the scenes, uh, he's reserved. He cares. And that comes across every practice, every shoot-around, every game day. It matters a lot to him. And because of that, 
yeah, they're paying a large number this year. They're not going to just hand Joe Johnson and give him away. I know there's some salary cap ramifications involved. They were not shopping him nearly as hard as I think people thought they were. My sense is his name was floated out there. If somebody blew them away with an offer, of course, uh, you're going to take it. But they go into this season with the feeling that Joe Johnson's still an important cog. And whether that's starting, I've heard rumors that maybe they would consider a bench role. I don't know if Joe would actually like that. But developing a six-man role where maybe he does go up against some second-teamers and then you bring him into the fourth quarter as a closer. There's no doubt they have to monitor his minutes. His minutes were too high last year. And his matchups were often very punishing on his body. He was playing against opposing power forwards at times when they would go a bit smaller, and that was based on the roster and based on Lionel Holland's matchup strategies. And I don't know if he can take that kind of physical toll once again on his body like he did last year. For Paul Pierce, ironically, and that's a guy that we've talked about a great deal in all of our conversations, Larry, it helped him a lot. It really gave him new life in that stretch four role uh, with Joe Johnson. I don't think he wants it. I don't think he wants to do it. I don't think he wants to bang uh, with these guys. He doesn't want to find himself in the post trying to anchor down and hold off guys that are 6'9", 240 pounds, 250 pounds. Joe's well put together, uh, but that takes a toll on you. So the role that he will have moving forward is still one that the Nets believe can be productive. And if this team does not play up to par, then Joe will obviously be a candidate to be traded before the trade deadline where there's a playoff team that's looking for that one extra piece, that's looking for that one uh, guy that could put them over the top. And Joe could be a difference maker. He's a guy that's willing and able to take and make big shots. He is not the least bit intimidated by the moment. Yeah, it's interesting, too, obviously. I mean, you obviously did bring up a good point regarding that. I know teams also have been less inclined to make sort of those types of trades. That's why I think these trade deadlines have been far less active than they were, say, I don't know, around the turn of the decade or whatever. But because due to possibly the salary he's making, I'm not even sure where he even stands contract-wise. I know we got the big deal from Atlanta. What five years ago now? It's about. That's about up. Right? Yeah, Correct? this is it. Yeah, oh, this, this is it. Is he the is final in the year of the deal. Here. How about this? Is going to be an incredibly general question, but how about the mindset of the organization? Because you mentioned about the long-term flexibility. What is, in your words, to best describe it? Sort of the mindset of the organization when it comes to fielding a team this year and where that stands with a long-term plan, knowing the franchise's lack of flexibility, for lack of a better word, on that matter. Yeah, I think it's probably two-prong. Uh, no doubt that, uh, unlike some teams, they have to be aware of where they fit into the marketplace uh, because of the New York Knicks, because of all the choices in the New York tri-state area for fans and the options that they have. Uh, the marketing of the team is a big part of who they are. When they moved from New Jersey to Brooklyn, Nobody really knew what to expect, and that includes yours truly. I, I had no idea how the borough 
would react to this team? Would they adopt it as their own? Would there be a feeling out process? Uh, would there be Nick fans who all of a sudden changed their allegiances and became Nets fans? Would the Jersey people come with them to Brooklyn? How would it all play out? It's been very successful uh, from that standpoint. So you've got two arms uh, trying to work in unison here with the basketball side and with the business side. And that's true for every sports team, don't get me wrong. But for this one in particular, there is a need to stay relevant every single year. And that's where you could get into some trouble when you're making basketball decisions that uh, might be swayed by the business and marketing side of things. They have to be aware of it. Uh, they are. Uh, there's no doubt that they are uh, sending out the message to the New York basketball fan that uh, this team has a chance uh, to be young and exciting and uh, you can grow with them. Uh, the problem that they'll have, unlike the Boston Celtics, is the limited options and draft picks over the next few years. Uh, that's where you can make some quicker fixes or you can feel as if you're dealing with the future and uh, the Nets have been dealing basically with the here and now. They need a couple of these young guys to hit and to stick, uh, whether it is Shane Larkin, whether it is Thomas Robinson, whether it's uh, Hollis Jefferson. Some of these young guys have to be legitimate players. I'm not saying stars, but impact players, guys that they can rely upon. Uh, their margin of error is just a bit slimmer uh, based on the fact that they don't have those draft picks in their back pocket to rely on if this season or next season or the year after goes awry. Yeah, that's a good comment you made, too, regarding New York franchises and how it is almost a double-edged sword. It's like, yeah, you get the, you know, the lifestyle living in New York, the great economy, all the things that you can do. But it is sort of like kind of what kept the Mets uh, and the Knicks, for that matter, uh, in the garbage can, I guess, for lack of a better phrase, yeah. for so long because it was constantly of fielding a team this year. You know, you got to get on the back page, just blah, blah, blah. Uh, so, you know, you, you hope, for that matter, that that's not something that, you know, gets in the mind of the Nets when it comes to really constructing a team. Yeah, and I think if if you try to be honest and forthright about it, there are certain teams, uh, the Giants, the Yankees, the Rangers, the Knicks, that have the built-in fan base, not to say that the fans don't expect success. They do. But for the most part, they're still going to get strong crowds year in, year out. The Knicks last year were brutal. But when you went in there for a Nick game, it was still packed. Uh, people showed up because they had paid for the seats. It's very corporate, and your corporations are giving them away, and people are still looking at it as an event. It's Madison Square Garden. Uh, Ranger games, uh, I think a similar feel uh, to some degree. NHL is a little bit different. It's, it's apples and oranges in comparing uh, the reaction of the fans. But... Uh, for the most part, it's still the team that you associate with New York. So with all of that said, Giants as well, when you're the Mets, when you're the Islanders, when you're the Devils, when you're the Nets, when you're the Jets, you have to work a little bit harder. And the marketing side comes into play. And we've seen it now, the Mets as an example, what they've done this year, 
building young pitchers, young talent, an occasional free agent signing here and there, but uh, being efficient. And it's not easy if you're a fan of that team going through the process. The payoff could turn out to be one of the great stretches in franchise history if they're able to keep all those young pitchers together. But going out to City Field over the course of that evolution process was not always a party. It was, it was dark. A lot of those nights, it was very dark. So how do you balance that? And I think you know, that's what the teams that we just mentioned have to deal with oftentimes, unlike uh, in a Boston or another major city where the fan base is so robust and there are no other options. There is a lack of competition. So maybe those teams, those marquee teams, don't have to worry about it like the teams that, that we just mentioned. Yeah, it makes for a good case study because you mentioned the Mets with the young pitchers, and if you even want to talk about baseball and everything, you go back to the early 90s when Steinbrenner was out of baseball and they didn't have the pressure of, you know, oh, we got to get on the back pages every single day. Right. And they built those great teams. They were allowed to keep those guys, and they weren't trading, you know, Jay Buhner for what, the infamous, famous Seinfeld scene or whatever. Um, <laughs> but same thing. I mean, you know, you look at, say, the Knicks every year or back especially, you know, in the 2000s when they were – field in these just goofball teams with you know zach randolph and steve francis and it was making you laugh uh but it's it's, it's showing it's like the mets and the yankees when you know they fight you know actually stick with the plan and don't get caught up in the storm uh, or you know just this whole you know it's almost like you know when Stephen a smith you know and i don't, I don't want to specifically mention him because you know but i get it I, you see him like most like the knicks will lose some like random regular season game in december by 30 and he said this is a disgrace to new york and it's just like a guy getting on his high horse it's like okay this is the only thing that happens in new york but that sort of creates like a firestorm and like it doesn't seem it. You don't think people are that adhered to it, but it creates a firestorm and, you know, they get the fans riled up and the fans start pressuring people. And then all of a sudden that may sway management into making short-sighted decisions. And that really does happen in New York. Yeah. When I, I broke into the business in 1990, when I graduated Syracuse and I started working at WFAN radio as a producer and looking back on that time, I thought it, and now it's been validated when, when I, try to analyze how the business has changed and how it's affected teams. Sports radio changed so much of our sports culture, that instant reaction, no longer did you have to wait for uh, the newspaper the next morning to read the back pages. You could get a sense of what the fans felt, or at least what the callers felt, instantly, right after an event. And throughout the day, you could take the temperature of the fans their opinions on teams, managers, players, general managers, owners, that had just not been available. It was based on the letters to the editor. That's, that's how we would try to determine exactly what people felt, or going to your local bar and hanging out for an hour and a half and just talking sports with people. That was it. So sports radio changed the business, and I think owners of teams and towns that had sports radio started reacting to it and GMs, all of that. Then, as time has gone on, uh, what we've seen with the Internet now is just another level. Now, what Twitter has done, giving fans instant access. They have their own talk show every moment of every day. They've got their own place, their own forum to 
give their opinions and to share them, and sometimes to share them directly with the person or team that they are talking about. So I do think you get a lot of very drastic reactions, oftentimes based on a small sample size, but that's the power. That was the power of sports radio. That is now the power of social media. And because of that, uh, alluding to what you just said, uh, yes, uh, you can get the little boy who cried wolf that can have an impact, that can have an impact on what a team is thinking and what the strategy is. The challenge is for those teams to block out the noise, take in uh, the reaction and the constructive criticism that's real, and block out some of the stuff that just becomes white noise after a while and run the operation the way you believe is the right way to run it. Uh, there are going to be pitfalls. There are going to be hurdles. Uh, there are going to be people that are pissed off. There are going to be people that are criticizing your every move. But in the end, can you look deep within yourself and say, this is the way it's got to be done, and I can't worry about all of the stuff that's coming at me from all of the angles. i got to do it the right way. Um, look, it goes both ways. Uh, there are times where you've got to listen to your fan base and you've got to gauge and use it as a barometer. Uh, but it can't be a minute-by-minute assessment of are we doing the right thing. Yeah, I think that's actually one of the extreme benefits that the Celtics have. It's incredible. I mean, they've been down. Well, they had that obviously that poor year first with Brad Stevens, but throughout this rebuilding process now for the two years, the general consensus amongst fans is there isn't a minute-by-minute reaction. First off, hey, I do this show once a week. I think that's tremendously benefit. I'm actually able to analyze the games without even the emotions of me as a fan who wants to see the Celtics win. Sure. I do it, say, you know, I do this show every Sunday as opposed to after every single game. It's, you know, it is, you sort of, it gives you that time to reflect. But one of the benefits the Celtics have had in this rebuilding, I think, is there's almost no pressure on the front office. And no matter what people say, that the front office and ownerships feel pressure from fans, especially the general managers, because they know, hey, if their job's on the line. But I do want to discuss, because we always seem to get off track, so whenever we talk, because we don't have any fun. So we definitely want to ask one more question on the Nets, because there's so much stuff I would like to get to. But I'm going to finish this off with probably the stupidest question I'll ask you. And I know I'm not the first, but do you think that the Nets, when they go about constructing their team this past summer and going forward in the immediate future, do they have the draft picks they owe Boston and previously Atlanta in mind? Almost like, you know, letting if some of the emotions, for that matter, get in the way of how it could potentially really sting if the Nets have to continue to de- deconstruct the roster in a way, continue to fall further and down the ladder, and then proceed to hand over the fifth, sixth, seventh pick in the draft? Or is it like being a cold-blooded stock trader who has no issue selling a stock at a loss, moving on, clean your hands, do you think that's the feeling of the Nets? Yeah, I think it's more the latter. Uh, just knowing Billy King and knowing the way that, that he operates. He's a very competitive guy. He's shrewd, but competitive. And I do think that when the ownership group took over, there was a, a sense of go for broke. There's no way that, that Billy was able to make the moves that he made, Pierce, Garnett, uh, Joe Johnson, Darren Williams, without the backing of ownership. Uh, They felt they had a chance to make a splash. Uh, They tried to construct a roster that could compete for a championship and ultimately fell short of that, fell well short. It wasn't as if uh, they were even in the conversation. They weren't. But they felt that they had pieces in place that could at least compete 
at a higher level than they had been competing, and they gave up a lot to get it. Uh, with that said, you do have to pay the piper, and you can't make your roster decisions based solely on uh, what's good for this moment only. You, you do need to keep the future in mind. I don't think that they've been scared or hesitant to pull the trigger on anything based on the fact that uh, they're going to still owe all of these draft picks. They are uh, attempting to craft a roster that could grow. And the youth part is the biggest key. Uh, they were older with KG, with Pierce. They were an older team, one of the oldest in the NBA. Uh, they've changed that. They've changed it quickly. Not all of these moves are going to be home runs. They never are. Uh, but they gotta they got to hit a couple doubles here. Uh, they, they need some base hits to see if uh, some of these guys can survive it and be a part of this for the future. Chris McCullough is an example, a kid out of Syracuse. Um, looked like he had first-round talent, had the terrible ACL injury, questions as to whether or not he would even be drafted, let alone be drafted in the first round. I think the Nets looked at him and said, uh, this is an opportunity to get a player that, if he was healthy, might have been a top 15, top 12 pick. So while they made the acquisition of Hollis Jefferson in the Portland deal, they got themselves another player that could have been a first-round draft pick a year from that draft, the 2016 draft. They're trying to get creative. They believe he can play this year, but they believe that if given the chance to develop the skills, he could have been in that first-round conversation in the top half of the first round a year later. So that was a case of trying to get young quickly and do it with some guys that have some upside. And although it's risk, and it is, uh, it's a calculated risk that they needed to take based on their uh, draft status over the next three years. Yeah, we talked about many of the detriments of playing in New York. That is obviously one of the positives. There's going to be a little bit more of that revenue to throw around to maybe make you know make some catch-up moves. And you obviously, too, you mentioned how, I mean, hitting doubles and base hits or whatnot, hit a couple double base hits, those still add up to runs because you mentioned roster flexibility, or I mentioned it for that matter. You can end up packaging those guys and keep upgrading your talent. But right. I want to move off from the Nets because as, identifiable, as, as identifiable you are with the Nets, You're equally as visible on CBS, especially us from a national standpoint, with the NFL and, of course, college basketball, March Madness. It seems like ancient history now. Those Butler teams made runs, what was it, 2011 and 12, I think, back Mm -hmm. in the title games. And Brad Stevens was being acknowledged as possibly the best coach in the game, no hyperpole then. And he makes the jump to the NBA in 13, and a lot of people were high on him then. When you watched him in college, did you think he'd work out when he first came over, or has he actually exceeded what you thought of him? Because I remember you giving him high praise to me this past season as Boston made their playoff push. Yeah, I had Butler a couple of times during his run there, and that included their run to the NCAA championship game. I was doing the world feed with Pete Gillen, former Providence head coach, uh, back then, and they nearly pulled it off. Uh, they came within an eyelash of winning that game, and it would have been the greatest upset, not only in college basketball history, but in my mind, it might have been the greatest upset in sports history, all things considered. I was blown away when I sat down with him. I did a game with Bill Raftery, uh, I think it was Indiana Butler, at. Uh, what was then Conseco, and now they've changed the name since then. It's Banker's Life. And I walked away from the meeting. I turned to Bill and said, my goodness, this guy is ridiculously sharp. 
and Raf turned back to me. He's met everybody. He's talked to everybody. He's been doing this forever. And he said, this guy is special. So to get that stamp of approval from Bill, and then to back it up, Jim Spinarco and I had him, what turned out to be his final college game at Butler in the NCAA tournament uh, in 2013 before getting the Celtic job. And Jimmy had never met him. And I told Jim what I thought ahead of time, and Jim has been doing this a long time himself, and he's met with all these guys throughout the years. Uh, you know, we did 16 NCAA tournaments together, 17 NCAA tournaments together. And I told him what I thought, but Jim's his own man, and we sat down with him, and Spinarkle walked away afterwards and said, boy, you were not kidding. My goodness. Uh, you're used to the coach talk. You're used to uh, the way in which coaches handle those meetings. Uh, Brad is uh, genuinely uh, a true basketball aficionado. It comes across when you sit down with him. He's an excellent communicator. He has the ability to uh, make guys better. And ultimately, and I know uh, things have kind of gotten misinterpreted through the years. Oh, it's so tough to coach pros compared to college guys, and that's why college coaches never make great NBA head coaches. You know, that's not the reason why. They're, the guys in the pros want to get better. They want to improve. Why? Why do they want to get better? Well, that means a better contract. That means more stability. That means more money. Uh, that means a higher profile. These guys want to work on their skills if they're being coached correctly. And I think what Boston got in, in the brilliant move that Danny Ainge made uh, was a guy that can do this forever. Uh, the only questions with him will be whether or not one of these big-time jobs come across, college jobs come across uh, his lap, and whether he would jump back in based on the fact you run the show. Uh, there's, there's no doubt about it. Mike Krzyzewski is the CEO of Duke. And if the opportunity was there for Brad Stevens to be the CEO of Duke, would that be too alluring to turn down? Yeah, that's sort of what I've, I know he's sort of pushed, you know, pushed it away. And I do think that he's honest, especially that there've been plenty of sources close to him, but you're right. If a, if a job like that does come up. And I also think the big thing is as you know, successful as he's been early on, and I would consider him making the postseason last year, 40 and 42, as a tremendous success because I thought for the majority of that season it was a 25-win team. Agreed. But, I mean, if, if he's constantly, you know, dealing with the young guys, managing minutes, and he's not getting, you know, a team, it's sort of like, geez, you know, how long am I going to be doing this? Because it obviously can detract eventually from your own profile as well as where, you know, insiders like this, such as yourself and even someone who me, me as follows the Celtics as closely as I do, we can praise them all we want, but you're in this obviously to gain accolades. And if you're, you know, just fighting for playoff spots every year, eventually, you know, year three, four, five, six, seven, it's going to be like, oh, geez, you know, I mean, I'd like to, you know, do something else if this isn't going to happen. I, mean, I love the Celtics thing, but... That's how I feel. Yeah. I, hey, look, he wants to win titles. Uh, I don't think he's happy with just getting recognition that he's done a good job in the NBA. You don't take the Boston Celtic job with the idea, well, this will be a filler job until something else comes along. That's a, that's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. 
But I think a lot of it will be based on how this roster comes together and the success that they have. If this team is ultra-successful and he's got a chance to compete for championships, I don't think Brad Stevens is going to go anywhere. But if it is a team that hovers and uh, Danny Ainge keeps reshuffling the deck and they don't seem to develop the kind of team that uh, the hope was when they put it up on the drawing board, then uh, the options are going to be there. Brad Stevens is going to coach for a long time. He's going to be a head coach for a long time, whether it's going to be in the NBA or it's going to be college basketball at one of the premier programs. Uh, that's, that's without a doubt. Uh, that's, that's, not, that's not a statement that, um, you know, that we would consider outlandish by any stretch. He's going to be a, it's going to be a 25-year, 30-year head coach just based on his age alone. He can do this for a long time. Uh, the questions will be where and then family-oriented. You know, where do you want to lay down your roots? Where do you want to uh, make uh, your family feel at home? Uh, geographically, that, that'll probably be the next question that comes about once uh, he gets through this this phase of his Boston Celtic head coaching career. Does it become a 20-year a job with the Celtics, or uh, does he end up going somewhere else uh, to fulfill another part of whatever he throws out there as the challenge in, in his evolving coaching life? That, that's sort of what I have been you know, discussing on the show on prior shows, and what I've broken down the Celtics roster so much is they're into actually year three, they're rebuilding and they have really been shuffling pieces around. And even though it isn't about say shuffling the deck and collecting assets or whatnot, he really hasn't had a consistent team or rotation really to build upon. Even if it isn't going to produce say a championship, it's at least a team you can attach to. And it isn't just constantly managing minutes and managing personalities as it has been the last two years. And that's actually one of the reasons why I have been a little bit concerned with it doing to support what Danny Ainge has been doing. Absolutely. I think the team is in good shape. I do think it's going to work out at the end. But going into the season, that's sort of what I've been saying because I think they should really elevate the goals. I mean, I think that if they do finish 40 and 42 again, I think it is somewhat of a success knowing that that's now the threshold from last season. But I just want to see a little continuity from the roster because I think it's unfair to him to constantly put pressure on him as opposed to managing teams. Now, we've had you here for a little bit. I wanted to obviously discuss, once again, many other endeavors you do. But I've brought this up. A lot, and I think this is very relevant because you're in sort of you're in New York, and there was almost a contrived rivalry, in my opinion, two years ago when the Nets moved to Brooklyn. It was sort of like we need to create a geographical rivalry in the NBA. It really doesn't exist in the NBA. You know, you look at the NFL, Bears, Packers, all those divisional rivalries, Yankees, Red Sox, and one of the reasons why I think is because the regular season seems to mean less and less every year. Now you're hearing cries because. Uh, say the Celtics and the Nets get in the playoffs last year under 500 and these other teams out West, they don't get in the playoffs, seed it 1-16. to 16. I mean, I think that would make things worse in terms of the regular season. How would you feel about that if, you know, 1-16? to 16, And at the same time, do you agree that there really aren't many good geographical rivalries in the NBA the way there is in every other professional sports league? No, I, I think rivalries are cyclical in the NBA based on how many times you meet a team in the postseason, what's at stake, uh, how many players remain, not just over a short time, but that can bridge a couple of eras. Uh, that, that, to me, is what usually will get the rivalries going. 
and they come and go based on uh, the way that the teams come and go. Uh, if if you're not a good NBA team, then odds are you're not going to be a rival of anybody. The Sacramento Kings are not a rival of the Golden State Warriors because they're pretty close geographically. Sacramento hasn't been good enough to be a rival. They went through the one stretch when uh, they had uh, Peja and they had Divots and they had Weber and they had a chance to go to the NBA Finals and should have gone to the NBA Finals. Actually, the year the Nets yeah, beat the, beat the Celtics. Celtics. Exactly. That's the year that Sacramento should have been in the finals, should have been Sacramento and, and the New Jersey Nets at the time. And while it may not have done a rating on network television, it would have been much more competitive than the Lakers and the Nets, which turned out to be a four-game sweep. But I think it seems like an easy fix to people that, okay, enough. Enough with the divisions, enough with the conferences. Let's just rank them 1 through 16, and that's going to alleviate the problem. It's not. It's not going to alleviate the problem. There's no possible way to play a completely balanced schedule in the NBA just based on the, the sheer geography of what we're talking about, the travel itself. It can't be done. So to me, uh, just because last year went the way that it did or the last couple of years in the Eastern Conference – uh, it's been so top-heavy. doesn't mean that you now react and overreact to make that kind of sweeping change to the NBA playoff format. Is it perfect? It isn't. Are there good teams that get left out? Yes. But guess what? There would be good teams that got left out in a 1 through 16 ranking as well. That's just the nature of the beast. Uh, to me, that's, uh, that's not worth making that kind of adjustment and – I don't think Adam Silver is going to do it when push comes to shove. He's a bright guy, really sharp. Uh, I think they've looked at it. They've studied it. They're not going to have a knee-jerk reaction based on what happened last year. Uh, these things come and go. What's the formula to win an NBA title these days, Larry? Uh, the formula is if you're the Golden State Warriors, draft well, add some pieces, get some steals here and there. That's what happened with Draymond Green. Obviously, they hit a grand slam with Steph Curry. Thompson turned out to be the right pick. They had enough role players, and it all worked. The head coach fit. It all worked. It was the perfect storm. Prior to that, when we were watching a team like Miami win championships, well, they had one of the best players ever in LeBron James. He raised the level of play. They had other studs in that lineup. It came together nicely. It didn't happen overnight, but it eventually did happen. The San Antonio Spurs, uh, one of the all-time greats in Tim Duncan, and the fact that he is a team guy and team harmony, listening to their head coach. Uh, these things don't happen by accident. They're not easy to construct. So the idea that the NBA is set up in a way that there are teams that are going to be upset that they don't make the NBA playoffs. I understand in the grand scheme it costs you financially, it costs you perception-wise, all of that in the Western Conference, which was so competitive. But that's not nearly enough to change a format that has proven to be the right format for a long time. Yeah, I mean, if I would argue anything, I think that they need to even, you know, make winning the division mean even more. Yes, it could be a little bit unfair, but I think it would make the regular season for all these other teams far more intriguing because let's say the Celtics play the Knicks six, seven, uh, six to eight times as opposed to four. 
that just creates, I think, just you know, a better rivalry. And uh, most importantly, it's more fair to you guys who obviously travel with the teams. One, I'll never be a reporter. I would never do these goofball West Coast trips or anything. But it's more fair to you guys. And I just think it would be better, better rivalry-wise. And if you also, you're an NFL guy, we got to get into that too before we uh, wrap this thing up. Uh, one of the, the example I use is, it was a 2010, the Seahawks went 7-9, and nine, and they got a home game, and they played the 12-4 and four Saints, and they beat right. them. And everyone was like, oh, you know, that was unfair. That's what we, here we are five years ago. No one cares. I mean, I have to you know, mention that, and it's just like and no one cares because it had no impact on who wins the championship. Same thing as last year, um, you know, or when, the year when the Phoenix Suns won like 49 games or whatever. The Miami Heat or the Spurs or whatever, they would have won the championship no matter, no matter what. So it really has no impact on any historic, historical implications in the NBA. And Yeah, the hard part, Larry, when, when you bring the NFL into the equation, uh, the NFL has one thing going for it that no other league can say, and that is every single year somebody emerges that you never – in your wildest dreams, thought would be a playoff contender. And that's true every single season. There's a surprise because you can improve your team quickly in the NFL if you get the right quarterback, if uh, a guy surpasses his expectations as a rookie at a skill position. He can have that kind of impact on the game. In the NBA, that's hard to do. It's hard. In baseball, it's hard to do. It takes years. NHL, maybe a little bit easier. You get some surprises here and there. For the most part, you can look before the season and say, this looks like a playoff team. This looks like a playoff team. This doesn't look like a playoff team. And your percentage would be fairly high. In the NFL, the injuries play such a large role, as we know, and the quarterback position plays such a large role. One guy has so much power, unlike the other sports. So I, I see your point. I do believe that there is something to be said for divisional rivalries. If you look in the NFL, that's really where their bread and butter is. Uh, you get up for your divisional opponents. I don't know if the NBA could ever truly create that. Uh, they've gone away from that, if anything, over the last number of years. And I'm not sure that there's a plan in place to to try to reemphasize what those divisional games mean and um, changing the divisional winner and, and how that fits into the overall playoff landscape. It's something they really have to look at. I don't think it's broke. I know some people think it is. I don't think it's broken. I don't know if it necessarily needs to be fixed, but it does leave open uh, the potential criticism from uh, NBA people that – We'll use this past year as an example of unfairness, where quality Western Conference teams didn't get in, and teams in the Eastern Conference that were sub-500 did. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned really the NFL with the rivalries, and that's what I really point to, too. I mean, the Patriots could be playing the 4-7 and seven Jets at one point in the season. It's, oh, my goodness, the Jets are in town, blah, 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 blah. But we definitely, we gotta let you, we're going to let you be going here. But if you want to spoil this, if you're if you're allowed to, where will you be week one next Sunday for the NFL? If you're allowed to say that, oh yes, I'm I'm very much allowed to say. In fact, we have our first eight games in stone, first time ever in my 18 years at CBS. I know where I'm going the first eight weeks of the year. Week one is Miami at Washington, walking right into the quarterback controversy with the Redskins and uh, dealing with it 
head-on. Uh, week two, San Diego at Cincinnati. Week three, San Diego at Minnesota. Week four, Jets at Miami in London. Week five, St. Louis at Green Bay. Week six, Denver at Cleveland. Week seven, the Jets and the New England Patriots. There you go. And week eight, Cincinnati and Pittsburgh. That's that's a good stretch, of course. Number two, man. That was uh, last year you got the bump, and we were all pumped for you. But, uh, Ian, thanks so much for taking the time to join us on Seller Speed. You spent a lot of time with us, but as always, did hope we did you justice. Oh, always, Larry. Really enjoyable conversation. Uh, always enjoy when uh, we get to, to chat, and uh, I hope you enjoyed your summer. Good luck in the transition of the NBA coming back. I know it's an exciting time. And I know Boston loves what you do, so keep it up. Thank you very much, and good luck to you as well on CBS. And, of course, the NBA season now not too far away, but Ian Eagle, voice of the Brooklyn Nets, Brooklyn Nets and CBS Sports. <laughs> Thanks so much once again, Ian. appreciate it. All right, Larry. We'll talk soon, man. What a conversation. Love to react to it even further. But guess what? We're out of time. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Will Rock, Chuck Deeds, Hyde 209, and Steph Legratto. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore Beat. And you can like Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio on Facebook.com slash Celtics Beat to keep up with the show. Love to thank our guest, Ian Eagle, as well as our sponsors, Tick IQ, Linda, Audible, DraftKings, Casper, Dr. Ron's, and of course, AmericanFarmersNetwork.com. Put down your corporation food that is slowly but surely killing you. Put it down and achieve your inner beast mode with certified organic 100% grass-fed beef and pasture-raised poultry and pork. Humanely raised animals on small farms with big benefits to you. I'm telling you, AmericanFarmersNetwork.com's meats did it for me. I wouldn't feel as I do from a personal level without what they and their meats provide. AmericanFarmersNetwork.com. We thank them and the rest of our sponsors for making this all possible. For our program director, Nick Gelso, staff writer, Eddie Santiago, I am Larry H. Russell. See you next Sunday.